Murphy, Senator Tim Scott, and Representative Trey Gowdy. Matt Staver celebrates a win for life in California, and actress Janine Turner defends our Constitution with education. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Thank you very much, and welcome to our show. Okay, I recently read a great article by a blogger named Sarah Hoyt, examining what the left thinks they're accomplishing by harassing conservatives, cursing them, driving them out of restaurants. I mean, do they really think conservatives will say, okay, you've convinced me, I'll be a leftist now? <laughs> I mean, if so, they really don't know my daughter. Ms. Hoyt concluded that leftists think that this is going to work on other people because it works on them. They constantly reinforce their power by turning on fellow progressives over some microtransgression and then bombarding them with Twitter shaming until they grovel for forgiveness. I mean, it even worked on actor Scarlett Johansson, who got out of a role in a film about a transgender person because the transgender people objected. Folks on the left still have a high school mentality where the popular kids maintain control by deciding who gets to sit at the cool table. And that's why Donald Trump drives them literally insane. They... You see, here's what it is. Celebrities say bad things about him or Jay-Z says that he's not gonna perform at the White House and it doesn't phase him in the least because he has too many real adult issues to deal with to worry about whether Hollywood liberals are elitist snobs in the talking head cable news business declare him one of the cool kids. Now, this all made me realize something. I am incredibly blessed. I'm one of the few conservatives who works in what I like to call a showbiz-related field, but I never hesitate to say exactly what I think. And there's... with you, there's very little I say that liberals agree with. And some Republicans aren't too happy with me either. <laughs> but I write books. I've got social media pages that have higher engagement than Stephen Colbert's or Jimmy Fallon's. And I host this show on a network I truly love. So I'd like to have liberals come on for a friendly and thoughtful debate. But if they refuse, I've got no shortage of fascinating guests. And would you like to know my secret for being honest with myself and others, yet not fearing the disapproval of the mob? Yeah. It's two simple words. Don't care. <laughs> Look, I know some gender studies major who lives in his mom's basement calls me a bad name on Twitter. Don't care. <laughs> so I'm not invited to some in-crowd Cool DC cocktail party, don't care. Hey, I don't even drink, so I really don't care about that. 
So unlike many people in politics, you can't buy me by threatening to cut off the open bar. All right, so someone disagrees with my faith and unfriends me on Facebook. I don't care. I got plenty more Facebook friends. But you know what? More importantly, I have real friends. And I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that outranks all the Facebook friends in the world. And the ultimate judge of my life is not going to be a panel of snobs on MSNBC or CNN, but rather the God who knows me best, and in spite of that, still loves me the most. Oh, you know what? I am making fun of this, but there is a serious message. Teenagers today suffer depression, self-mutilation, even suicide due to peer pressure and cyberbullying. I wish I could give them all this message. Do not care what the bullies say. For most people, adult life is not high school. Whether it's high school bullies or Antifa mobs, people who spend their time tearing down others for not being like them are just signaling that they must have pretty empty lives and beliefs that they cannot defend intellectually. So you don't want to be like them anyway. You will be so much happier just being yourself. Block those people from your social media. Or better yet, put down your cell phone and go make some real friends who will support you and love you for who you are. And if you really need to connect with someone on social media, hey, connect with me. I welcome everybody, even left-leaning loons. Oh, and I have plenty of them who pounce on my every word. But my response? Don't care. Well, my first guests are two of the busiest members of the United States Congress. One is the only African-American Republican in the Senate and serves on six committees. The other is chairman of the House Oversight Committee. That's a huge job because there are so many people in Washington who need overseeing. <laughs> By the way, both serve in the great state of South Carolina. They're very good friends, and we'll talk more about that later. With the latest news from D.C., would you please welcome Senator Tim Scott and Congressman Trey Gowdy. Great having both of you gentlemen here. Thank you. Senator, let me start with you. I want to ask you about dealing with all of the uh, sort of anti-Trump sentiment that you see, not just from your Democrat colleagues, but sometimes from Republican senators. One of the things that you have to recognize is that the president's policies have led to the third largest economic expansion since the year 1854. Mm. Unemployment rate is heading towards a 50-year low. We're seeing hundreds of thousands of folks who are long-term unemployed now being enticed back into the job market because their wages are increasing. There is so much good news that one of the things you do when folks are uh, showing animosity towards the president is just remember the facts and the facts don't lie. You know, when, when Senator Scott was talking, I, I had to remind myself, um, unemployment rate among some of our fellow citizens is the lowest among, among community groups. It's the lowest it's been maybe in my lifetime. That would be a banner headline under most other presidents. So, it is the weirdest political environment. I would just go with the word weird. If economic opportunity is not unifying, if that is not something we can celebrate, 
Um, you know, we were like, what, 1% maybe under President Obama? Mm -hmm. and, and, and he won a Nobel Prize? Uh, we're four, five times that? Uh, it is a strange environment we're in right now. Just recently, Congressman, you were uh, grilling Peter Strzok, the, uh, I, I would say, the very prolific texter of the FBI who had over 50,000 text messages with his in-house uh, paramour, Lisa Page. That was contentious. It, it was very contentious. And what was going through your head when he was kind of smirking his way through and, and really... I think stonewalling you guys. What was going through my head was how um, non-representative he is of most of the law enforcement officers that mm. I worked with in my 20 years. Uh, I worked you were a, a federal prosecutor for a while. I was state time. and federal. Here is a counterintelligence expert who only wanted to work on the case if it was going to lead to impeachment. Not indictment, mm. not safer elections, not a safer country, impeachment. I have never seen that level of animus towards the target of any investigation. Um, but my heart is broken for an institution we desperately need, and people need to be able to respect and trust federal law enforcement. Uh, Peter Strzok and, quite frankly, Jim Comey and some others have done more to undermine the reputation of the FBI than any member of the House could possibly ever do. Do, do you, Senators, sometimes feel like that this Russia thing has just gone to ground, that there's nothing left to plow. You know you're desperate when you're looking at the public Twitter account, the tweets of the president. If you haven't found any evidence of, of collaboration, collusion at this point, and you're so desperate that you're looking into the president's tweets, looking for some scintilla of evidence, wow. You guys have co-authored a book that I mean, I think it's fascinating in light of the contentious atmosphere that Washington has and it's about being unified, about finding ways to solve problems. I'm not sure there's a lot of people in Washington who are talking about what you're talking about in the book, about being unified and problem solving. Why not? I think we talk about it. We talk about it privately. Uh, Senator Scott and I both have a number of friends on the other side of the aisle. Uh, most of us get along pretty well when the cameras are off. But, Governor, we are in an environment now where winning is the only thing that matters. Hmm. And uh, they want President Trump to be a one-term president. They want to beat him whenever he's up for re-election. It's all about being the speaker or having the committee uh, chair gavels in your hand. And, uh, I mean, I hate to beat up on the media, although I'm happy to come back on another time <laughs> and do that. I'll go ahead. Uh, beat him up. Okay. Since you insist. Um, <laughs> You know, this, this should be an investigation about what Russia did to us, but it is an obsession with collusion for which no evidence has been presented except You've seen no Schiff. evidence, and you've seen a lot of stuff that we haven't seen. There's no member of Congress who's seen more than I have, and trust me, if collusion evidence existed, Adam Schiff would have leaked it a long time ago. <laughs> so then they pivoted to obstruction of justice, um, and now, as Senator Scott pointed out, they're looking at public tweets. Um, I, I think defending this country from foreign attacks is very unifying. When it gets into trying to delegitimize someone who won the, won the Electoral College, that's where the division comes in. Yeah. All right, Senator, you, the book is unified, and it talks about your personal friendships with each other. Yeah. Um, why is that important to you to have the kind of friendship and, and relationship with a congressman that you guys have? 
Yeah, we both come from the deep south, South Carolina. And when we were born, growing up as kids, we would not have been able to play together. We would not have been able to go to the same restaurant or sleep in the same hotels. But so much has changed. And our country sometimes is fixated on the things that divide us. And one of the things that we saw after the Charleston shooting mm. is that God blessed us to live, breathe, and evolve in South Carolina. And our state has evolved in such tremendous ways that after a racially motivated shooting, the leaders of the state came together black and white, joining hands, uniting our state and I believe our nation after nine family members came forward and forgave the killer of their family. If we can unite and be unified after such an atrocity, there's hope everywhere. You know, that's what I want us to pick back up on when we come back from the break, because I think it's one of the most wonderful object lessons America has seen in the last 50 years of what happened after the shooting at Mother Emanuel Church. I've got more with Representative Trey Gowdy and Senator Tim Scott about their brand new book they just released. It's called Unified. It speaks to political divisions in the nation. I hope you will get a copy. We'll tell you how to get a copy, but don't go away. We're going to be right back. Just before the break, we were talking about the, uh, the horrible, horrible shooting in Charleston that rocked the country because it was clearly a racially motivated murder, cold-blooded murder of people at church. And I think that's the one place we think we're going to be safe. Yes. Congressman, that event was seminal in South Carolina. But what happened in South Carolina, rather than riots and fights and divisions, was people came together for reconciliation. Why was it different there? I don't know, but it sure was. And it uh, not only affected, I mean, lay politics aside, from a faith standpoint, from all the things that matter in life, to have nine people who, who, who did exactly what Jesus told them to do, welcome in a stranger, mm. we're going to pray with you, we're going to pray for you. And the whole time he is sitting there knowing knowing with malice aforethought that I am going to kill as many of you as I possibly can. Mm. You talk about premeditated capital penalty eligible murder. And the very first thing the family members do is say, I forgive you. Mm. I could not do it. Um, I would not do it. And mm. that may make me a bad Christian and so be it. Uh, but they did it, and they looked into the, to the eyes of a man who wanted to start a race war in my state. Mm. And because of the way they responded to a tragedy that most of us cannot fathom, it had exactly the opposite impact. And Senator, you're from the Low Countries. Charleston's your home. Absolutely. My uh, uncle, <clears throat> my uncle attended that church for 50 plus years, mm. and Clemente Pinckney, the pastor of the church, was was a friend of mine, and uh, I remember the first text that he had sent me. Uh, he was one of the first people to call me senator mm -hmm. back in 2012, December, and uh, he wanted tickets to the president, President Obama's inauguration. And I also have the the last tweet mm -hmm. that he didn't answer. Mm -hmm. Are you and your parishioners okay? Mm -hmm. 
to watch my community come together and demonstrate to the world that life can be better with hope in Jesus. That nine family members whose lives had not been interrupted, but devastated, did not come forth with anger, but they remembered somehow in the midst of their challenges and the depth of their loss, they remembered Matthew 5.44. They remembered the concept of loving your enemies hmm. and praying for those who persecute you. And when that happened, I think 36 hours, it happened 36 hours after the murder, the murders, to have one member after another member after another member come alive on a screen looking into the killer's eyes. The world stopped and said, what just happened in Charleston? The place where the Civil War started, in Charleston. And you saw the coverage on newspapers and TV screens that forgiveness, I think, evaded an eruption and instead became the salve that heals the wound. Uh, I spoke with uh, Daniel Simmons Jr., whose father was murdered that day. A week after the murder, I was going on the Senate floor to talk about it. And he, I said, sir, is there anything you want me to share? And he said, with enthusiasm and energy, he said, yes, please share Romans 8, 28, that somehow, some way, all these things work, work, will work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I was flabbergasted. I mean, the people of Charleston, and specifically that church, probably gave the greatest lesson to America in my lifetime of grace, forgiveness, reconciliation. The book that you guys have put together is really um, an analysis, not just of the Charleston shooting, but of the broader, more universal need for a unity in America, for friendship, for people getting to know each other as the two of you have. Uh, maybe it may seem like you're unlikely cohorts, but you've developed a tight, close bond. Why can't that happen more often in politics? It can, um, and uh, you know, we do have differences. Some, some <laughs> folks say, well, you're both from South Carolina, you're both Republicans, what could you possibly not have in common? Uh, we don't do our hair the same way. Now, let me just say <laughs> to your audience, <laughs> Please explain to me how this happens. <laughs> yeah, literally, I don't, know, I don't fully understand that. Divine intervention. Divine intervention, he said. All right. We have different faith perspectives. We have different perspectives on political issues. Uh, contrast is good. I enjoy contrast. Conflict is debilitating. And, and, and I think most of my fellow citizens know the difference between I pull for the Cowboys, you pull for the Giants or the Packers, and having a fractured relationship where you question the motives, the patriotism, and everything else, and someone with whom you disagree, we got to find a way uh, to dial down the conflict. Would we do better if we turned the cameras off in Washington more often, didn't televise as many things, didn't give people a sense that they had to go in front of the cameras and, and, and preen and, and, and make their points before TV for their audiences to get all revved up? 
absolutely, positively, unequivocally, yes. Hmm. There's no doubt that if the cameras were off, you'd have more real people having real conversations that lead to real progress. I got a great idea. We'll just get rid of the cameras in Washington. We'll have everybody watch my show on television, on TBN, and there you go. I second that motion. Is there a, a great idea? We'll introduce the bill when we go by. <laughs> yes, sir. I want to thank both of you. My, my heartfelt thanks to Senator Tim Scott, Congressman Trey Gowdy. Buy their book because you'll read some things about life in politics that, that you're not going to read anywhere else. It's a very unique insight. It's available at all major booksellers. The title of the book is Unified. Go online. Look at thefriendshipchallenge.com. That's thefriendshipchallenge.com. Okay, Keith, tell us what we have coming up next. Well, coming up, some important legal updates with the Liberty Council's Matt Staver. And later, actress Janine Turner joins us. But before all that, the sweet sounds of Chris Golden. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. You have seen my next guest perform at the Oak Ridge Boys and the band Alabama. Recently, his solo work is getting a lot of awards and a lot of attention. Here to show you why is the critically acclaimed music talent of Chris Golden.
Chris Golden. Great job, Chris. Thank you, Governor. You know, it's so much fun having you on the show. A lot of people may not realize, we talked about you've done stuff with Alabama and Oak Ridge Boys and your own bands. They may not know that your dad is William Golden of the Oak Ridge Boys. He's the one with the long white beard, yes, sir. And where's yours? Well, <laughs> I took more after Mama. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I love your dad, but I love your musical styling, and you have played every kind of genre of music that I can think of. Do you have a favorite? The kind I'm doing right now. Kind I'm of a country gospel. Playing and singing for the one that gave me the gift. That's yeah. a beautiful thing, Chris. Yeah. Well, he's definitely giving you the gift. I feel so blessed. Was music natural to you? I mean, you grew up in a musical family. I know the influence was there, but was it natural? It, it always came really easy for me. You know, and I, it was a lot of people know my dad. He's pretty recognizable, yeah. but a lot of people may not know. And I, you know, he always had instruments around the house, but a lot of people may not know that my mother come from a very musical family too. She was one of eight brothers and sisters. My granddaddy played the fiddle. He was from Louisiana. Uh, there was always music around the house, and my dad used to wonder why they didn't go pro, you know? <laughs> so they were very talented as well. So. so this was fantastic. Gotta come back, and next time you come, I'm playing with you. Please? It's a deal. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Governor. Appreciate you. God bless you. Hey, for more information about Chris's music or to book him for a show in your town, which you ought to do, go to his website, chrisgolden.net. That's chrisgolden.net. Keith, you've known Chris forever. You tell us what's coming up next. Happy to do just that. The notorious and in case you missed it segment's coming up, along with the Liberty Council's Vance Staver. Then actress and activist Janine Turner stands up for our Constitution at the Jeff Lewis Band performs. All right here on Huckabee. Now, there may have been a few news stories that snuck by you during the week, but thank goodness we caught them for you. And they include a man swimming inside a sack to a tolerant soccer tournament gone unhinged, and it's all here on a segment that we love to call In Case You Missed It. That's right, that music tells us it's time to tell you about these things, and this week in Haddam, Connecticut, they had a town hall meeting and something very strange happened. I know what you're thinking. Is that Elizabeth Warren? Nope, she's next door in Taxachusetts. No, this was Democratic select woman Melissa Schlag. Now she seemed to be looking for something. Her contacts, maybe a coin. But no, alas, she was kneeling in protest against President Trump and his visit with Vladimir Putin. But many of the citizens in Haddam also thought she was looking for something. Her mind. <laughs> Which she apparently lost. That was unkind. Anyway, Schlag, who was a supporter of Senator Bernie Sanders for president in 2016, stated, quote, the Pledge of Allegiance doesn't have anything to do with the flag, in my opinion, end quote. Guess she missed that first sentence and the whole to the flag part in the pledge. Haddam resident Ken Pellegrini, who's 56, told the local paper, that's our flag, it's disrespecting our whole country, and that is not okay. Well, no matter where you side on Select Woman Schlag's protest, one thing is for sure, she probably won't be playing in the NFL this year. 
Over in Germany, the annual anti-racist soccer tournament. Now think about this. It's an anti-racist soccer tournament to bring people together, teach them tolerance and love. And they conducted in the town of Zwickau. Had to be abandoned this year because violence broke out during the <laughs> tolerance game when players from the two refugee teams started a massive brawl on the field. Ach du lieber, you say? What a bunch of knuckleheads, I say. Fighting between the two teams, one mostly Arab players, the other predominantly African, resulted in the United Colors and Tifa Street Soccer Cup being called off. The final is played in the town's market square before a happy audience, but as violence escalated, fans apparently abandoned their tolerance and goodwill, fleeing the brawling players to protect themselves, all in the name of love and goodwill. One fan told the press the violence was so brutal that he feared for the players' lives. On a brighter note, our In Case You Missed It team has requested additional red cards be shipped to FIFA to address the conduct of these players. Yeah, that ought to do it. That and ringing the field with riot police. And finally, from our Bulgaria file, another shocking report from the world of sports. Bulgaria's answer to David Copperfield and Michael Phelps reclaimed the Guinness world record for swimming along with your hands and feet tied while fully wrapped inside a sack. And I thought that was a one-time event for unwilling contestants conducted by the mafia. Well, 64-year-old Yana Petkov swam 2.1 miles, shattering the record of Indian fisherman Gopal Karvi, who had held the record for five years, albeit only with his hands and feet tied and not inside a sack. Hey, Governor, I mean, uh, no fear. <laughs> Look I'm at you. I'm bringing that medal back to America. I'm in training now. Yeah. Uh, I got the moves. There's Keith. USA. 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 A burlap bag. Yeah. It's my outfit. Uh, yeah. It's beautiful, Keith. Thank you. Uh, Matches my eyes. By the way, I want to say, you ever wear that again, we're going to throw you in the local lake over here by Hendersonville. Oh, I don't get paid enough for this kind of humiliation, I'll tell you. No, and after that, you probably won't get paid at all. No. So I'm just wanting to let you. <laughs> we want to offer our congratulations to Mr. Petkov. And for those of you who might seem confused over the whole event, just remember what the Bulgarians always say. Friends will be friends, but cheese still costs money. Are you still confused? Well, I got to tell you, I am too. I don't know what in the world that's supposed to mean. I have no idea whatsoever. All right, that ought to clear things up. And hey, aren't you glad we read the Bulgarian sayings and the news? That way, you don't have to. There you go. All right. Well, my next guest is the founder and chairman of the nonprofit legal organization, Liberty Council. His group battles to protect religious freedom, the family, and the sanctity of life. Welcome, please, a good friend, Matt Staver. And we did not make you wear a sack and swim out I'm here. Glad. And I'm sure afraid, you're happy about uh, that. When I saw that previous. Yeah, we do some crazy things on this show, but what we want to talk about is anything but crazy. Actually, it is kind of crazy, but it's serious. One of the cases that you just won before the Supreme Court was incredibly important. It was a California case where the pregnancy crisis centers were told that they would have to tell people where they could get an abortion. 
if they went to a pro-life pregnancy mm -hmm. crisis center. Yeah, these are crisis pregnancy centers. They don't get any money from the government. Uh, their mission is to save lives. And California passed a bill that said that if you're going to be a crisis pregnancy center, you had to give a 29-word, 48-point font message in up to 13 languages that referred people to abortion clinics, including the telephone number of the abortion clinic. You had to put it on your entrance in your lobby in printed material. And in fact, it was so extreme that even during the oral argument, the issue came up about what happens if a crisis pregnancy center issued a billboard and all it had was the words choose life uh -huh. in the name of the crisis pregnancy center. The question was asked of the attorney representing California, would the notice be in effect? And he said, yes, 48 point font, 13 languages. So you have just the two words, choose life, and you'd have this overpowering message of where you get an abortion in 13 languages. I mean, it would sound like the disclaimer on a drug ad where yeah. the person have to speak so loudly. This kind of thing sounds outrageous, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. The good news is that we obviously won this case. It's a five to four decision. That's what's scary. Five That's to four. Scary. So I'm, I'm glad Liberty Council was there to, to win the case for them. But at 5-4, that really makes this Supreme Court nomination all the more important. Yeah, 5-4, one vote. You think that this is a no-brainer. You wouldn't be able to even conceive of this only in California, but it was a narrow one-vote margin. Great victory, no doubt. But that means that this upcoming nomination of Kennedy's seat and uh, Brett Kavanaugh as the nominee is so critically important, not just on that issue, but on so many other issues as well. I mean, what we need are judges who judge who interpret the law, not make the law. That's up for the people to do. Speaking of that, Brett Kavanaugh been nominated by the president to be on the Supreme Court. Are you satisfied with that nomination? Is he a solid conservative? Can we depend upon him? You know, I've done a lot of research about uh, Judge Kavanaugh, and he gave a speech last year in 2017 at the Constitution Day. And his hero is uh, former Chief Justice William Rehnquist. And the reason why his hero is Chief Justice Rehnquist is because Rehnquist believed that you had to interpret the law and that the role of judges is not to make the law. That's up for the legislative branch, not for the judges to make it. It's for the judges to interpret it. And they have to be confined within the confines of the Constitution. And I think that's the judicial philosophy of Judge Kavanaugh. Now, when you put that philosophy on uh, other issues, major social issues, such as abortion. Abortion was never, is not in the Constitution at all. There's just no way you can stretch the Constitution to come up with a so-called right to an abortion. Uh, the issue of marriage, uh, there is nothing in the Constitution uh, that ultimately redefines the definition of marriage. The Constitution is a document of limited authority for the judges to interpret and stay within. And it sets up three branches of government. The legislative, which is the most powerful. The executive, which is the enforcer. And the judges, which is supposed to be the weakest branch of government. And that is because they have only interpretive authority. But it has become, over the past 50 years or so, that people look at the judiciary as almost the supreme branch, not the Supreme Court, this idea of judicial supremacy. And you know, what happens is uh, there are some people in the country, and that's why it's so divided. There's two different philosophies, uh, and one is completely off base. One is that judges can make the law whatever they want to be. That upsets the three branches of government. It's unconstitutional. The other is judges need to be confined within the law. 
And the reason why some people want judges to make the law is because the people and the legislative branch will not pass the laws that they want. So they want a judge to just simply impose it on the rest of the 300 plus a million Americans because they can't get it through the democratic process. A case that you guys and you personally was very involved in Liberty Council was the Kim Davis case. You have a book called Under God's Authority. It's all about Kim Davis, mm -hmm. the county clerk in Kentucky who would not violate her conscience, right. and by the way, would not violate the constitution of her state, Kentucky, where she lived, which said marriage was a man of the woman. But that Supreme Court decision caused the governor, then governor, they have a different one now, yeah. thank goodness, he's a great governor, but the one before said, okay, it's the law of the land. He accepted judicial supremacy over he his did. own constitution. Yeah, Governor Bashir's did, yeah. and, and she, she ended up spending jail. jail, and you were there uh, when she was incarcerated on that amazing day that she was actually released as well. It was well. unbelievable, but Matt, a lot of people may not know, she went to jail for being a Christian with convictions without bail. That's right. Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer, were offered bail. Kim Davis was not. Uh, this individual ultimately had a series of events that happened as a result. One, we won the case. Two, a governor, Matt Bevan, was elected. He stood beside her like you did yeah. and came beside Kim Davis. And he's a, he's a great Christian governor, he wonderful a great, leader great governor. Uh, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and the legislature. Believe it or not, they were able to read the tea leaves. And these are Democrats and Republicans. And they came together the year after this case began and they unanimously passed a law that ultimately granted religious freedom to Kim Davis and everyone else, and Governor Matt Bevin signed that into law. Well, I, he's one of my heroes because he's a strong leader. Well, thank goodness Liberty Council was there for her and for a lot of other people. I want to say thanks to Matt Staver for being here, for everything that he and his organizations do to protect life, liberty, and the family. Uh, Matelli, this is an important organization that fights for you even when you are not aware of it. And for more information about Liberty Council and the latest news and podcasts about legal threats to your religious freedom and parental rights, you should visit lc.org. And that's where you can also get any of their great books, including this one. It's called Why Israel Matters. The Covenant Journal, which is another book they have, and many more, including their newest book, Under God's Authority, the Kim Davis story that I told you about earlier. I think I know her. I better, I wrote the forward to this book. All of that is online at lc.org. Keith, tell us what we have coming up. Well, we've got an exciting band coming up. You know her from TV's Northern Exposure and Friday Night Lights. Janine Turner shares with us to share her Constituting America project. Plus, Constituting America contest winners, the Jeff Lewis Band. Patriotic performance on Huckabee. Scriptures tell us the keys to what real religion looks like, and the very first one is this, to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress. Now, when you join the mission of Samaritan's Purse, that is exactly what you accomplish here at home and around the globe. Check it out for yourself at SamaritansPurse.org. And if that previous message from Samaritan's Purse touched your heart, give them a call today. Its work is authentic and operated with the integrity that will never disappoint you. Well, my next guest is an incredibly talented actress, but she's also a director and an author and a sought after speaker, a true Renaissance woman. But one of the most interesting things she has done is share her passion for this nation and its constitutions. Please welcome Janine Turner. 
Good to see you again, Janine. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, Thank you, Governor Huckabee. There are so many Hollywood people who are anything but into the Constitution. In fact, you know, they're mm -hmm. leading the uh, Antifa raids and so on. What is it about your life that makes you want to be a cheerleader for the Constitution of the United States? Well, it, it's interesting. My father was from Athens, Texas, um, but he was plucked out of high school in Athens, Texas to attend the United States Military Academy at West Point. And so I was raised with, you know, my dad was, at that, that time it was Air Force Army, so he flew uh, twice the speed of sound, and I, when I was a little girl, the jets were flying over. So, I, you know, that was sort of Ronald Reagan, right? It was in the air around me. But I was, also, uh, I was also just at the age of eight, I would say to my father, if our founding fathers were to come back today, what would they be most disappointed about? So I've just always had this innate love for country and for our founding fathers. And for all the educators out there, in fifth grade, I was in a little country school in Fort Worth, Texas, but Mr. Ingram is his first year of teaching, and we spent the entire year rehearsing the musical 1776 for the spring performance. So he used that ability, he used the music and performance to instill a love of our founding fathers. Very smart, and it stuck with me. I played Martha Jefferson, by the way. But Janine, a lot of people grew up like that, maybe in their hometowns, but they went to uh, a career similar to yours. You did modeling, you did acting, you lived on the West mm -hmm. Coast, and you did all of these things in the Hollywood environment. What caused you to stick with your sense of patriotism and love of country? Well, I really, I've studied our documents over, you know, for years and years and years, and I believe innately that this is an exceptional country. And look, I was engaged with someone who, who was, who was a, a, a liberal, and, and it was during the Ronald Reagan era, and everybody would just you know, condemn Ronald Reagan. I'd be the only Ronald Reagan supporter at the time. So it is very hard to be um, a conservative or Republican in Hollywood, very, very hard. But I believe we are an exceptional country, and I believe in our founding fathers' documents, um, and I believe in, in the, the hope of America, so it, it goes against the grain of Hollywood, but I just, you know, when you believe something that innately, it's hard to lose it. Tell us about Constituting America, the foundation that you created. What do you do? How, how could it affect these folks who are watching tonight and uh, wanting to know about it? Well, Constituting America, um, I, co I founded it with um, Kathy Gillespie, who's in your audience tonight, and my daughter is the executive director. She was the national youth director. But, you know, we are multi-tiered, so we have something that to offer everyone. If you just want to study the Constitution, we have amazing 90-day studies every year, and they're all archived. Um, but we also, for students, uh, anywhere from kindergarten all the way up to grad school, we have an amazing contest, and we ask kids to create apps for us or computer games, write songs, public service announcements, short films, essays, and all of their works are on our website. And not only that, we're the only foundation that actually propels their career. We hire companies to promote their songs or their public service announcements or their works. We put the entrepreneurial winners and STEM winners in our documentaries that are you know, premiered across the country. And what about... Uh... I can also speak at your school. Oh, I speak that's, all yeah. over the nation about the United States Constitution. But I want to know, Janine, what can you do for kids like me that never grew up? Is there something for us <laughs> that you've got? 
Well, we have adult categories too. You could do a short film for us. All right, I'm all in. But you know, I remember okay. when you first started this endeavor and I was so just amazed and admiring of what you launched and I, I remember and it has just grown exponentially since that time. And it's great to see how the impact has been on really people from all over America because you have a commitment to love this country and the Constitution which makes us unique. Thank you very, very much for being here and for uh, sharing you. what you're doing. Thank you. Be sure and visit constitutingamerica.org. That's constitutingamerica.org. You will find studies to enjoy personally, you can use in the classroom, and you can learn how to enter the We the Future contest. Why don't you do what Janine said? Invite her to speak to your civic organization or your local school. Yes, she really does that, and I'm telling you it's amazing. And check out Janine Turner's daily God on the Go Minute podcast. Go to JanineTurner.com or you can listen while you're there. You can sign up to get it every day. All right, Keith, tell everybody about the contest winners that we have coming up next. I would be glad to. It's the Jeff Lewis Band here to perform their contest winning song, Land of Dreams on Huckabee. Well, my next guests are the reigning champs of constituting America's best song winners. Here now making their national television debut, please welcome Jeff, Norm, Rich, and Anthony, the Jeff Lewis Band. We are proud to be living in the USA. Thank God for them. They set the course for us but way back then. Well, that flag let her fly like an eagle so high. We know too well our freedoms. Well, they never came free. A farmer pitching hay. In the hot blazing sun The trucker man hugs his kids I gotta hit the road, I gotta run Small town parade The 4th of July The fireworks in the sky Have you ever wondered why In this land of dreams Builds a wall, his cell phone rings, 
he takes golf. The wives and the boys got a football game at five. Well, God bless America, the strike of the bear. Sing this song loud and clear all across this land in this land. Well, to hear more music or find out where to see these incredibly talented guys, visit JeffLewisBand.com. Hope you'll join us next week. We've got T.G. Shepard and Kelly Lang. They'll be here singing. The amazing Justin Flom will be performing. And African-American conservative champion Armstrong Williams will be joining us. Until then, have a great week, good night, and God bless you all. Thank you.